you have your Bibles with you this morning or your phones or whatever you're using, open them to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. That's where we're going to be. Also, you may want to turn to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be there in just a few minutes. Three Sundays ago, Pastor Lowell introduced us to the hand diagram. Hopefully it comes up here shortly on the screen. There it is. Representing the five occurrences of the Great Commission expressed in the four Gospels and the book of Acts. Each occurrence represented by one of the four, one of the five digits of the hand. Pastor Lowell started with the goal of the Great Commission, as presented in Matthew 28, and represented by the middle finger of the hand. Pastor Brock followed the next Sunday with the message of the Great Commission as presented in the Gospel of Luke, represented by the ring finger. Last Sunday, Pastor Billy presented the method of fulfilling the Great Commission as presented in the Gospel of Mark, represented by the index finger. And today we'll be looking at the model of the Great Commission, as represented by the thumb, as presented in the Gospel of John. It's the first occurrence of the Great Commission given by Jesus on the evening of his resurrection. The thumb. Not as majestic as the fingers, is it? Not as sleek, not as slender. Some of us have a stubby, curved thumb. Some of us have a nice, straight thumb. But the thumb is so important to the hand. Do you want me to prove it to you? If you've brought in a Yeti this morning or another facsimile thereof as far as a drink container, reach down and grab it, but don't use your thumb. Go ahead. Come on, try. Pick it up off the floor, but don't use your thumb. Okay? It's a little difficult, isn't it? Maybe sometimes a little dangerous. But when you bring the thumb back into the operation, look what happens. The control that you gain. What it lends to the fingers. What it lends to the operation of the hand. As I studied for this passage, I realized that John chapter 20, this passage represented by the thumb, is very appropriate. This event described in the 20th chapter provides the foundation for the church's mission. In this passage, Jesus provides his divine confirmation that his purpose, his mission, the divine atonement for the sin of man has been accomplished. That his words from the cross it is finished, are true. They're confirmed. Jesus has risen from the dead. It's in John chapter 20 that he shows his disciples. But what's next? What happens now? Jesus is risen from the dead. Now what? The church that Jesus said he would build in Matthew 16, 
that he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against must now be launched into the world of darkness to bring the light of the gospel of truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for all mankind. And on the evening of that first Sunday, after his crucifixion, after his burial in a tomb, after the tomb was sealed shut with a massive stone, not to keep him in, but to keep people from going in there and taking his body, on the day of his resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples suddenly and without warning behind a locked door to launch his followers, his warriors, for the kingdom of God. Let's read this passage, starting in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, show us. Show us in this passage what we need to see this morning, Lord. Let it not be my words that are speaking this morning. Let it be yours. May your spirit and power come upon us this morning. Cover us, Lord. Enlighten our minds. Reveal to us Jesus and everything that we say and do, Lord. Bless us this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. When Jesus enters that room, what does he find of his mighty men of God? His faithful followers? His chosen messengers? What does he find? They're hidden away in fear and unbelief. Wouldn't we be also? Think about that. They'd just been through a traumatic experience. They'd watched as their leader, their friend, the one they believed would conquer the world, was brutally and savagely murdered. He was gone. Jesus was gone. Their visionary, their teacher, their champion was gone. He was dead. This is not the way they expected things to work out. They had hopes for the future. They had dreams. They had visions of grandeur, of where they would be in the kingdom. Now everything was ruined. Their dreams have been crushed. Things have not gone according to their plan. And Jesus finds them locked away from the world, locked in their own little world, hiding in fear, unbelief, and anger, and disappointment, sorrowing in the emotions of their unfulfilled expectations. What expectations did they have, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you did ask. We get a pretty good peek into their expectations from these scriptures. 
from Luke chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. Verse 46, an argument arose from them as to which of them was the greatest. Verse 49, John says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Or Matthew chapter 20, you know the story of John and James's mama coming to Jesus. She kneels before him and she asked him for something. And he said to her, well, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. That wasn't John's and James's mama's idea. And even in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, 40 days from this day, that first resurrection day, 40 days as Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, these are their expectations still. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you see where they were thinking? What they were thinking was going on? You see, something happens when we allow our personal emotions and our personal desires to paint the picture of our expectations. We start to think less about Jesus and more about what would be best for us. We lose focus of Jesus and his desires, his worldview, his mission, his purpose for our lives. It reminds me of when Peter stepped out of the boat on the Sea of Galilee. He'd seen Jesus walking across the water in the storm. He's, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Jesus says, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat. And Peter gets a lot of bad press about that because he didn't complete that walk to Jesus. He sank. But you know what? Peter got out of the boat. Jesus said, come, and Peter stepped out, and he went. And as long as Peter had his focus on Jesus, God was working a miracle through him. But when Jesus, when Peter started to doubt what he was doing and the power that was working through him, he started to flail. But Jesus was right there and drew him back to himself. And that's just what happens when Jesus appears to the flailing, doubting disciples that evening in the room. Doubting about everything that's happened, fearing what's going to happen, angry that their expectations haven't been fulfilled disappointed, they're flailing, they're confused, they're lost, and Jesus draws them back to himself. Knowing their fearful hearts, their anxieties, their crushed expectations, he says, peace be with you. Shalom halakim. Peace, brothers. Relax. Calm your hearts. It's me. I'm with you. I am with you. 
they would have likely remembered he'd said the same things to them the night before his crucifixion. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Or the same night, the same conversation, it appears in John 16. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Guys, remember me? Remember who I am? Remember what you've done and you've seen? I am with you. The group that Jesus found in that room, locked behind that door, was not ready to carry the truth of Jesus into the world. They needed to be refocused on the truth. So what does Jesus do to refocus them? He models the gospel for them. He shows them his hands and his side. He shows them the marks of death and he suffered for them. He shows them that he has overcome death, hell, and the grave. I'm here. I have overcome the world. I am risen just like I told you I would be. Peace. Relax. He shows them the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus' life and death. God incarnate. Lived a sinless life. Sacrificed like a lamb led to slaughter. Crucified on a cross as a substitutionary atonement for mankind, dead, buried, raised again to the glory of God as Redeemer and Savior of all who would repent of their sin and believe on Him as their Lord and King. That's the gospel. We can preach that, can't we? He refocused the minds and hearts of the apostles from their unfulfilled expectations to the victory that he has already won for them, for us. For his bride, the church. And he calls them and he calls us today to live in his victory. Our victory if we are in Christ. And when they saw the marks of his crucified body, their reaction was immediate. The passage says, verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Glad. Really? Our English language sometimes frustrates me. It doesn't go far enough to explain what they were experiencing. They were experiencing the shalom peace, okay? They were experiencing a sense of well-being. They were rejoicing. They were feeling gratitude for what God has done. Are you kidding me? They were glad. They were about to bust open. He's alive. He is risen. Just like he said he would do. 
And the shalom peace is the inner heart knowledge. It's that well-being. It's that knowing God's done something great. He's got us right in the palm of his hands. And we're right here in the middle of it. And now Jesus has their attention. And they're back in the game. And he's, he's turned the rudder of their minds back to him. He's refocused their vision. And now he models their ministry. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Listen to this, folks. Brothers and sisters, listen to what he's send, saying to us. As the Father sent me, even so, I am sending you, us. Well, how did the Father send Jesus? How did Jesus respond? Let Jesus tell us in his own words. From John chapter 5, verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when he says that, you better listen. The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Verse 30, he says again, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, he says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And in John 12, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this, his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Listen, you can't separate the Trinity. Where Jesus is, the Father and the Holy Spirit are. Where the Father is, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are. Where the Holy Spirit is, Jesus and the Father are. You cannot separate the Trinity. And Jesus went in perfect submission to the will of the Father, unity with the Father, directed by the Father, an ambassador for the Father, dying willingly for the purpose of the Father. And that's how Jesus was sent, and that's how we're being sent by Jesus. Put that in your pipe and smoke on it a little while. Chew on that. As Jesus was sent, we are being sent. What does that look like? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2. And if you have it there, turn there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Ooh, he hits me right in the heart, right to start. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death 
even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A life given willingly, devoted totally to accomplish the purpose of God, to free slaves, sinners, enslaved in the chains of sin. That was Jesus' call and his call to us. Calling all that would claim to be his followers to the same purpose and life that he served. Calling all to be his ambassadors to the world. A world that desperately needs his truth. But first, he knows we need his power. And he empowers his ambassadors with the power of the Spirit and grants them his authority to act and speak for him. In verse 22 of our passage, it says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We don't have the power to forgive sins. Only Jesus does. But he's given us the power from the Spirit to bring remembrance of all things. He's given it to the apostles to help them remember all the things that he has taught him, that they had been taught in the three years of ministry that he had been with them, that they had heard him say, that they had seen. Only 40 more days would he be with them on the earth. Time was short. Every minute now was important to launch them into the world. And in this transitional time to Pentecost, he knew they would need the power of the Spirit of God to move forward. The same power that Jesus walked in. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power, folks, that we walk in. That we operate under. To move the mission of God and his church forward in our world. And he empowers them to speak with his authority. Authority to speak only what the king has told them to say. That the forgiveness of sin, the redemption of mankind, can only be found in the Savior of the world, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our King. As believers, as ambassadors of Christ, we are only to say what the king has told us to say. We are from a kingdom, not of this world, but we live in a foreign land as the representative of Jesus Christ. And he's given us something that's amazing. We know the cure for the most deadly disease of mankind. Sin. Let me ask you something. If you knew the cure for cancer, if you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you give it freely? If you had the cure for diabetes, leukemia, all of these terrible diseases, 
that destroy our loved ones? Wouldn't you share it with the world? We have the cure for the most deadliest sin to man, an eternally deadly disease. And it's Jesus. The name above all names. As ambassadors of Jesus, we're on a divine mission for a king in a world that's not our home. And our mission is Jesus' mission. And he tells us his mission in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you're in Christ this morning, if we are in Christ this morning, that's our mission, to seek and to save the lost. The question is, what are we doing with what we know? What are we doing with the power that lives in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? What are we doing? Are we living in his victory? Do our expectations need to be reevaluated? Do we need to draw near to Jesus to see with his eyes, have his heart for the lost, feel his heartbeat? For the sick? Remember his priorities? Do we, do we need to remember who our king is? What he has done for us? Overcome death, hell, and the grave? Does he need to model his wounds for us like he had to do for Thomas before we will believe and call him our Lord and God, our king? Are we speaking what the king has instructed us to speak? What if we fulfilled our mission so that Jesus could fulfill his mission that's still to seek and save the lost? How can Centerpoint Bible Church Model the gospel to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, look into our hearts this morning, Lord. Help us to reevaluate. Reveal to us, Lord, anything that's getting in our way, in your way. That keeps us from moving out in the victory that you have already won for us. Dear God, speak to us this morning. Bless us with your power, Lord. It's your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. My microphone working all right? Yes, good. Let's get adjusted. I knew it would take a minute. First of all, it's great to be back. And um, I thank you all for your prayer, your support, um, things that, that, that some of you were able to share. And I know others um, 
some, some people told me they were strictly encouraged not to, not to talk to me. And I understand, quite honestly, for about nine days, you would not want to talk to me because I was in a bad mood. Um, but I thank you for your, your, your support and your prayer. And, and God really, uh, God answered. You know, he brought, brought, brought me through um, a very difficult time. And so I thank you for, for standing with me and behind me and, and so forth. Um, but I have something I, that I get to share with you guys today. Thanks, John, for that message. Man, I, I just feel like bursting out in song for what Jesus has done. Praise God for, for his great commission for all five, right? For all five. And as the Father sent Jesus, he sends us. Well, today what I really want to take the next 15, 20 minutes to do is to um, kind of share with you where we're at right now as a church. Um, God has been leading Centerpoint Bible Church. He truly has. And I'm excited to share some of that with you. And, and I want to start out and just say some things that I think we all know to be true, but they're, bare, they, they're worth repeating. We need to remember that this is Jesus Christ Church. This isn't my church. It's not the church of the elders or the deacons, or it's not even our church. I know we like to think of it that way, but that's not the case. This is Jesus' church. He started this church. He leads this church. He'll take care of it into the future in whatever way he desires to do. So we are his servants. He is our captain. That is our role. And that is his role. And this can be difficult, can't it? It truly can. Let's fix that if we can. I know we're working on it, but what do I need to do? Blue who? Switch to the handheld. Love to. All right. How about blue? All right. Still know how to turn it on. All right. Good, good. It is difficult, isn't it? It's difficult, the role that we're in. Because as human beings, as people, we have a tendency to grab hold of something and hold it tightly. Because we believe it's ours. Because we think we're in control. Because we think we ultimately know best. It's not just with churches. It's with our lives. It's with your employment. It's with your relationships. It's with, your, it's with every part of your life. We think, if I just had more control... If I could just grip harder, then maybe everything will be okay. When reality, when we grip tightly, we're like that child that I read about. Maybe you read about it in 10th grade as well. Did you read The Pearl? Anybody remember reading The Pearl in high school? Remember what they would do? These young men, these boys would would dive into the water and they would hold large stones which would drag them down to the bottom of the ocean where they would grab clams and take the pearl out of the middle. Remember that? And in reality, when we grip tightly and hold on to control in our lives, we're dragging ourselves to the bottom for our own detriment and our own hurt. See, this is not a new problem that mankind has. I just want to just take a minute and kind of walk through a little bit of, of what happened in the early church. Do you remember? Shortly, 40 days after what John just shared with us, The Pentecost moment came. 
The church of Christ received the Spirit of God, were baptized in the Spirit, and they now had a wonderful experience there in Jerusalem. They're gathered together on a regular basis. The believers who are now forgiven, they're with brothers and sisters in Christ. They're learning from the apostles. They're seeing God's Spirit use them. They're gifted now in miraculous ways. They're able to worship. They're able to fellowship. They're having a wonderful, wonderful time. And in that wonderful time of joy over being forgiven, they got comfortable. They got settled. They got content. And there in Jerusalem, God had to do something to wake them up. See, God isn't about our comfort. He's not about your personal comfort. God is not in the business of making us happy and comfortable and settled. God wants to reach the world with the gospel. That is the will of God. That people would not perish. That people would hear the gospel. That people would be transformed by the presence of that very spirit that Jesus gave to his disciples that night. The night he was resurrected. To go into the world in the same way that Jesus went. To go where it's dark. To go where it's difficult. To go where it's challenging. But the church, the the human being, who we are in our flesh, in this body that we're in, we seek the path of least resistance, don't we? We always seek the path of least resistance on our own. And God understood that about his church And so God did something very interesting. God brought opposition to the church. They're in Jerusalem. They're having a good old time, you guys. They're doing godly things. They're worshiping. They're learning. They're teaching. They're healing. They're they're, they're doing all of that. And God brings to them opposition in the form of a man named Saul. Do you remember that story? Saul, who would later become Paul, came to Jerusalem and brought great trouble on the church. He came with threats. He came with power. And in Saul's mind, he came to vanquish the church, to end the church, to stop the plan of God. But God had a different plan. See, in God's mind, he sent Saul to redirect his church. To redirect. And just I'll just remind you of what happened. I mean, they were, the disciples were called to do what John challenged us to. They were called to take the gospel. But as Saul came and ravaged the church, the church, the believers, the followers of Christ... They had to depart. The opposition that God brought sent the disciples into the world. They were scattered about preaching the 
words. See, the reality is that God was in the business of taking his believers and doing what he needed to do to spread them, to to disperse them. And as they went, as they went, the followers of Christ, the church of Christ, multiplied. That is a mathematical word out there, okay? It multiplied. This means exponential growth is what that means. So think about what that means to us. If God had not brought, if God had not brought the opposition to the church in Jerusalem in the form of Saul, would we have heard the gospel? Would it have been snuffed out? What would have happened? See, God desires to reach. He desires to reach. And listen, you feel it too. I know you do. You feel it too. You, you want to be used to the Lord to reach people. That's why you're here. You want to be used to the Lord to reach people and to, to disciple people and to reach people who need Christ, to see people come to experience what you have. You've been forgiven in Christ. You've been given new life in Christ. You're excited about that, like me. And we want to see God do that work through our church. Do you still believe he can? Do you still believe that God can bring the gospel to broken people in a way that amazes even his followers. Where they be sent like Jesus into darkness, trusting God's provision, proclaiming the gospel, believing that he still works. Skip to that next slide for me, would you, please? Center Point Bible Church has been here for 10 years. And I'll tell you, honestly, this 10 years has been some of the happiest years of my life. It really has. People I love right here. Our lives are intertwined in a significant way. Some more than others, I understand that, but... We're all connected. And God has brought opposition to our church. God has brought opposition to our church. In two forms. And amazingly, they came on the same exact day. It's just like the Lord. On one day, I received an email and a phone call. That brought great clarity for our church. Let me tell you what those two things were. They're review for most of us, but that's okay. Just follow along with me. First of all, for two years we've been planning to place a building, a facility on the 21-acre plot of land that's connected right here to Spring Mills Middle School. For two years we'd worked on that. For two years, we've been operating under an assumption that we would be able to develop that land and build a building for $1.5 million. Listen, $1.5 million is going to be a stretch for our church. But we believed, as God provided, that we would be able, through his spirit, to be able to do that. 
The first thing that happened on that day is I got the accurate estimate. It was no longer $1.5 million, but the place a 7,000-foot square building, which is about the size of this room, about the size of this room. It was going to be a cost. It was going to cost our church $3 million. I know it's shocking. Understand, to move anything on that property requires us to do a great amount of site work approaching $1 million. So I was shocked by that. As I'm reeling from that email, in some ways, the phone rings. It's a call that we knew could come at any time. But we kind of settled that it was never going to happen, you know? That was our expectation. Berkeley County Schools was calling to let me know that they wanted a one-year exit plan. In God's grace, they could have said three months, but they said one year. These calls were not unexpected. They really didn't rattle us completely. God was not surprised. He was working his plan. And so a search began to seek out another facility for our church. You should know that that search did not begin in August of 2018. In reality, January of 2018 was the first time that I contacted all of the pastor elders and them and their wives went and visited a potential facility. Eight months before the phone call, eight months before the email, we were seeking out another facility. So we weren't really that surprised because God had been leading us. You see, we weren't satisfied. God's given us opportunities here, and I look around the room, and I'm very excited to see you. But we weren't satisfied. We felt that we had limitations here that were holding us back from what God wanted to do through our church. And so we were seeking out another facility. We truly were. We were seeking out a place that we could have 24-7 access to, that we could use throughout the week, any moment, any time, we could use to bless our community and be a powerful force right here where we were. We were seeking that out. So it wasn't a total surprise when we received the phone call. It wasn't a total surprise when we received the email. There was already some work going on in our heart And so what happened was a group of men began searching for a facility. And I want to tell you a little bit about that search. Through your help, thank you for praying. And thank you for bringing ideas to us. Through your input and the input of other people, a group of men have searched through, have have received information on 17 different properties in our community. 17. Five of those were immediately not usable. We knew that. And we began investigating the other 12. Somebody on the team said that the process was both exhausting and exhaustive. Think through that. 12 properties. We looked for five things. A room large enough to worship. Classrooms that would allow us to to minister to all ages. 
They have full-time access, adequate parking, and not place us in a position where we as a church would be overburdened by the financial need. That was our criteria. Well, today, what I'm ready to share with you is that the elder team is, is prepared to move forward, to take a step forward with one of these pieces of property. Okay? Now, I want to say before I go any further... Everything I'm getting ready to say is all captured by the set of parentheses that says, Lord willing. We don't know what the future holds, but we're moving forward. In the center of Martinsburg stands a series of buildings. They were once occupied by many people producing many products in a hope that it would continue to provide what they needed. And now they stand empty. They sit empty in the center of Berkeley County. Are large buildings sitting empty. Large buildings surrounded by people. Rich people, poor people, brown people, white people, lost people, found people, people, people. Some are broken. Some of these people are broken, wondering where hope is. Other people are redeemed. And they're wondering, why doesn't someone come and help us reach the people around us? God's called us as a church to preach the gospel. God is bringing clarity. He's bringing clarity. The elder team is moving towards investigating, relocating Centerpoint Bible Church to the center of Berkeley County, to a building on Winchester Avenue, to do more than move into a building but to move into an additional community. To multiply our influence by moving into a community that is broken, that needs Jesus. To take what God has done here for 10 years of building up potential energy and unleashing us like a bomb in the middle of Berkeley County. And to create a launching pad of 24-7 influence. Because I'm no longer content with seeing us for two hours a week. I'm no longer content with just being another church in Berkeley County. Now here's how it's going to work. This building right now stands empty. It's anywhere from 25,000 to 80,000 square feet available for use. Did you hear that number? We are preparing, we have launched actually, a 180 feasibility study. This week, 
Center Point Bible Church will be submitting an official offer on this property, a contingent offer upon a feasibility study. Now, I'm new to commercial real estate. I don't know how this works, okay? But I've been learning a lot. For 180 days, we will evaluate this building structurally, environmentally, we will evaluate the financial impacts, the ministry possibilities, the statutory r- rules that we have to follow to see if this could work for us. But in reality, for us to actually do this, for us to actually complete this study, we have to make a formal offer. We can't just stand on the sidewalk and look in the windows. We have to make a formal offer. One more slide, please. Sorry, I missed that one. Ample space for ministry as God develops this plan, Lord willing. Here is our offer that we will make. One more. The cost, that's the, the price that the, the owner is seeking is $500,000. We're in negotiation over that right now. This week, we will make a $3,000 earnest deposit. The owner wants $5,000. Our bylaws and constitution don't allow us to offer that kind of money. Did you know that? Are you a member here? Did you realize that we cannot spend more than 1.5% of our annual budget? So to start the process, the elder team is going to stay within our bylaws and make an offer, I'm sorry, an earnest deposit of $3,000 in conjunction with this offer. For the next seven weeks, we will spend time sharing the vision for what we're going to do. Lord willing, if God continues to open this door up, I would use this in ministry. And on January 6th, we will ask you, the membership, to approve this relocation of our ministry as the feasibility project and study continues. At which time, we would then increase our escrow deposit to $5,000, with the congregational affirmation, and also approve any other expenditures that will be involved in the feasibility study. So for 180 days, we're seeking the Lord. Will this property meet our needs? Is God calling us to this place? Will Centerpoint Bible Church relocate to this spot. Now you need to know, we're still seeking. This is, I said we're 17 possibilities. Many of them have been eliminated, but this is one that has risen to the surface and we need to start the process. Here's the calendar of how this would work. Today is November 2018. We'll make an official offer this week, which begins a 180-day feasibility study. On December 5th, 12th, and 19th, I want every single person connected to Center Bible Church to come to one of our home meetings. If you're willing to host it, please email the Centerpoint email address and let me know that you're willing to host it. I need three homes that will host this. At these home meetings, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a what do they call that, a, a town forum, okay, where we'll talk and we'll have questions and, and we'll share what we're, Lord willing, what we believe God is, is doing. 
On January 6th, that's when the congregation will affirm the, the initial decision to move in that direction. Understanding that, do you realize how many things have to come through for this to happen? One wrong decision, one wrong conclusion, and everything stops. The number of things that have to come to fruition is overwhelming. But we have to start to study. So pray with us. Then in April or May, depending upon the progress of the study, that is when we as a congregation will officially make the decision to move forward in this direction, complete with financing of the property. As you can see, this is a big process. We need prayer. Many issues need addressed. Many questions need answered. Many things have to go in just the right way and just the right order for this to become a reality. Now, I do want to share this. What have I learned through this process? First of all, we must hold loosely. We must hold loosely. This was not my expectation. But I'm not God. I'm not Lord. I'm not even my leader. I'm a servant. I'm a follower. Just like you. Hold loosely. Otherwise you're drugged to the bottom. Hold loosely. What does this mean for our property? It's an immediate question, right? Hold loosely. We don't know. I will say this. The move to Winchester Avenue is not contingent upon us departing from that property. You need to know. Many individuals and organizations have reached out to us to buy that property. But this move isn't contingent upon the sale of it. We're seeking the Lord. On what does this mean for the property that we have here? We don't know. We will hold loosely. We have 180 days to evaluate. What if this thing shuts down at 179? We will hold loosely. What about this? Or what about that? Or what are we? We will hold loosely. Second lesson I've had to learn. My walk is a walk of faith. As much as I believe what I think is going to come in the future, I really don't know. And God has to humble us at times for us to realize he is the Lord and I'm following him and I'm walking by faith. Walk with me by faith because it's with faith that we please God. Without faith, no one can please God. And third lesson, and this is a very important one. We need to make the most of every opportunity because you know what? You don't know. We do not know how quickly things can change. Everything can be different in a moment. Am I right? I was a strong man 15, 16, 20 days ago. And I woke up the next morning a very, very weak man of, of little capacity. Everything can change 
in a moment. Make the most of every opportunity. Folks, we are here in this community, in this school, for a year. That's it. We have submitted our final request. We have said, here is our one-year exit plan. We will be gone fall of 2019. This is it. In two weeks, we will start holding two services here. Why? Because we believe that God has more people that he wants to touch with the gospel as brought by Centerville Bible Church before we're gone. Before we're gone. This is our last will and testament for this community, for this school at least. And so come with us and join with us. Who will you invite? Who will you make sure is here on December 2nd? What will you do to sacrifice and to make this possible? Come with us. As the Father has sent the Son, so Jesus sent his apostles And so the apostles have sent us. Let's pray together. Oh God in heaven, Lord, you are the king. You are the Lord. You are the master. We are your children. We are your sons. We are your daughters. Forgiven in Christ and dwelt by your spirit, empowered and released, unleashed to reach this world. Oh, Father, lead us. Give us your wisdom. Lord, I pray for the feasibility team as they will be working hard, diligently to evaluate and to to understand what your plan is over the next 180 days. I pray for your body, Lord, that we would truly pray and seek you. Lord, this isn't a game. It's It's not just some exercise we're walking through. This is the future of your church, Centerpoint Bible Church. So we come before you in humility and in meekness, knowing we don't know the future, but you do. But that's okay. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us, Lord. Where you lead, I will follow. Where you send us, we will go. Who you show us, we will point them to you. God, give us that kind of spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.